Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Sonia. And this is The Universal Grain, a podcast where we, two Generation Z Asian American teenagers, strive to share our perspectives by exploring issues that not only affect us, but our audience as well. Today we're here with our friends Brandon and Varshita to talk about our Asian American identities. So today we have uh, Varshita and Brandon with us, and we wanted them to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Brandon and I'm 17 years old. I live in Southern California and I am a Chinese American. Hi, I'm Varshita. I'm also 17 years old. Um, I'm Indian American and I also live in Southern California. Okay, so thank you guys so much for coming and we're really excited. Um, we just wanted to talk more about um, like what, what generation we are um, and more of our like backgrounds. So I can go first. Um, I'm second generation, which I've talked about before on the podcast, but um, it's really motivated me to find more ways to, you know, be in contact with my culture. Like I'm Indian American, like Varshita. We're actually from the same province. I mean, there's a lot of differences between me and Varshita, as you'll see, but being second generation, I think has motivated a lot of my choices in life. Um, I'm Allison, and as many of you know, I am first-generation Chinese-American. Um, I think, you know, as Sonia said, being first-generation has definitely influenced a lot of what I do and um, how I carry myself in my day-to-day -day life. Uh, I definitely do adhere to, you know, stereotypically Asian traits, um, but I think that's the beauty of, you know, growing up in a culture where two things just clash so much. Um, I'm first gen, so it's kind of a weird clash where I'm not really connected a lot with my Indian heritage, but then also I can't really fit in here because I'm like kind of in that weird space. But I do think that's really helped me kind of find my own little niche in between like more stereotypically Indian Americans and also in immigrant Indians. So I'm second generation, I believe, maybe third. I don't know, <laughs> but it's okay. I would say that my Asian heritage hasn't affected my day-to-day -day life immensely. It's mostly been, it's mostly just, I don't know. It's um, a side thing, I'd say. It's like, oh, I get to go to Chinese New Year or, oh, um, it's that time of year again to go respect my elders and all that good stuff. But and like day-to-day -day life when I'm at home, my mom never really forced us to speak Chinese. I'm a monolingual scum, I'd say. But I'm, I would say it's unfortunate because I'm pretty, I'm interested in my culture. It's just like, I would say I never really got a good dose of it in my childhood. That's like the same here. Having parents who I think experienced the the gap that they were in between being um, raised by immigrant parents and then also trying to fit in with their American friends. And my parents, I know they tell me that they have a lot of experiences where like they really didn't feel like they fit in and they were bullied for it. So it, I think that it kind of forced them to Americanize really fast. And I don't think that they carried on a lot of the traditions uh, like towards me, like talking in Tamil and teaching me Tamil at an early age, which I mean, obviously is not their fault, but it is really sad 
Um, it's, it's funny because it's like the exact opposite for me. Um, when my parents first moved, they were so, so they were like very eager to make sure I knew enough about my culture to kind of pass it on. So I would be like, I, my mom would conduct like Tamil classes where we lived in like a tiny little like Indian shop where like all the Indian kids would come in the middle of Wisconsin. And um, she always forced, well, I wouldn't say forced, but it definitely wasn't something I was interested in at that time because I didn't really know how important it was. But, you know, because of that now, I think I have enough knowledge about my own culture and my language to where I can be proud of it and also kind of share it with others as well. I can definitely relate to that language school thing. Oh my goodness, every Sunday for four hours. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, it's, uh, language school is not fun. Um, but I think in, in my household, it was, it was almost like I was living like a two-sided life. You know, it was like my Asian-ness at home, um, you know, eating Asian food and wearing slippers inside the house and, and, you know, like going to like Chinese parties for Chinese New Year. Um, but then it was being at school and, you know, trying to wear, I wouldn't say Americanized, but trying to fit in and trying to hide my Asian-ness and not bring like ethnic lunches. I remember that being a really big struggle of mine. But at the same time, as much as, you know, Sandy and I talk bad about the community that we live in, because there were so little BIPOC and part of it's to our advantage and other parts to our disadvantage, um, we never really felt, or I never really felt like I was ever too different because there weren't that many of people like me for, for other people to judge and make comparisons to, which I felt really lucky about, especially growing up. Regarding the whole lunch situation that Allison just brought up, I, I'd say personally, I never felt very uncomfortable with eating Asian lunches at school. It was like, even if I whipped out the container of rice and then whipped out another container of Asian curry and slapped that boy on the rice and I ate it, and, from, and all my friends were judging me. It was very obvious. They're like, bruh, you're like pulling out this entire like like three course meal in front of us. But you know, I, it's just like me eating lunch and it's, I never really acknowledged it as part of my culture and something to be embarrassed about until um, I heard my sister recently, she uh, founded a more, what was it? Asian, an Asian club at school. And they talked about their experiences and she talked about how she was uncomfortable with eating these lunches at school. And that was like maybe a year ago that I realized that eat my lunch wasn't like, it was supposed to be something, well not supposed to, but it was something that a lot of people were uncomfortable with. I can very distinctly remember moments at school where I would open up my like thermos that would keep my like rice warm and immediately the smell would come out and everyone would be like what is going on <laughs> and then I'd like it kind of went to a point where I would just stop eating it at school and then I wouldn't eat it at home so then I would just throw it away but then that that just made everything worse because then the smell would like get even worse and then I don't know it it definitely impacted me in like a very small way it's like very subtle but I think it's a noticeable I don't know if that makes sense but I think that you also just like internalized it like I for me it wasn't even really like facing judgment um from other people like they've not they never really said anything to my face I just knew like I wasn't getting like the 
the ham and turkey sandwiches and like that that was what I was supposed to be getting um and then again like I'm second generation so my parents kind of knew that like Indian lunches weren't really the normal thing to pack for a first grader so I I had some of the normal lunches which I think also like didn't make me um as self-conscious about sharing my culture but there were definitely things that like I'd be ashamed I don't know if it's ashamed but more of like a defense mechanism where it's better not to share than to like be open about my culture like you know walking in a selvar kameez or like a sari into a bagel shop or something like my parents think that's normal because it's you know just a normal dress but I just am so scared of it because I don't I don't want to face judgment so yeah that's a lot of the like internalized stuff that I think Asian American kids face. And speaking on that internalization I'm very ashamed of this now, but when I was actually in kindergarten, like there, I had a Korean friend and she would bring food sometimes and I would be like, oh, like your food kind of smells weird. And like now knowing that I realized it was because I was so used to, like Sandia said, like the ham sandwiches. And I just, I thought it was weird. Um, and I talked about this in previous episodes where it was almost like I thought I was white, even though I knew I wasn't. And so I don't know. I think especially for younger people, that battle can be really hard and you don't realize, you know, where the line is until you reflect on those moments. I never knew any of anything about this. I used to share my Asian food with other people. Like I gave that's even like during high school, I like literally I would pull out this bag that has like dried fish that like that's the whole fish. And it's like a little small fish. And everyone's like, what the and I just, I'm just like, you want a fish? And I don't know, I always felt like proud of my culture. Like it's something that was like unique about like something interesting that I could share with other people that other people don't experience. Cause I think the whole, the big thing is exposure. If you can expose other people to your culture then it will become more normal. Like, like, it's, like another whole thing is like racism. like. I think that racism spouts from a lack of exposure of culture and people. If you are able to like to expand and to give that experience to more people, I think that's the big thing. Yeah, you really bring up a good point. It's like um, talking about people, uh, about how like people only know what they know, like what they're surrounded with. And I think that's really admirable that you like you you weren't hesitant about it. Like I can't imagine myself not being hesitant and, and like asking my friends to try all that stuff. It just sounds so um, foreign to me, but it's really nice that like you're doing that. Yeah, I think there's there's just, if we start normalizing like a lot of the things that different cultures go through, it's gonna create a more like open and just in general, like a more happy society. Okay, so next we're gonna talk about gender roles. At, in between American um, cultures and Asian cultures, because I think there's a lot of differences. And as an Asian American, I think you're exposed to both um, both sides, like how how they treat gender in Asian cultures and how they treat gender in um, American cultures. And there's a lot of differences there, which have really uh, shaped my perspectives. And I think it also adds to the idea of like not fitting into either culture because your gender, um, there's like nuances in your understandings of gender roles and um, gender relations. So 
there's a lot of things that I think differently than say my grandma who's an immigrant or that kind of stuff and so there that's just like one more um piece that I think that all of us have probably um had to figure out as we were figuring out our identity as a whole I think you know gender roles when you compare um American gender roles versus Asian gender roles there is like a big difference even now like I think American gender roles have kind of come past the point of being you know more like the oh like the man goes to work and then the woman stays at home to more like an equal position but I feel like a lot of countries in Asia are still you know kind of stuck in that mindset which it can be hard for like immigrants like me who want to like kind of fight back against those but then also are met with like resistance when we try to explain ourselves and how that's wrong I know like a lot of people in my family as well the brothers are favorite favored more over like the girl childs or you know it's just very old fashioned things like that but it definitely takes a toll on me I guess it could say on other of my more female cousins um it's kind of an unnoticeable it like happens very subtly in like in Indian culture as far as I've seen um it's just kind of implemented into society where oh this is just how it is like it's it doesn't you can't expect it to change whereas here it's like I feel like women have a lot more freedom to do what they want without asking anyone else and it's I just feel like it's very radical if you think about it from an I guess you could say an Indian standpoint but yeah. And I kind of share that same experience within um, Chinese culture. So um, in Mandarin, basically your maternal grandparents are wai gong wai po, or um, it depends like colloquially, but wai means outside. And then so your paternal grandparents are your ye and that. And so that, that just means like grandma, grandpa. And so, you know, whether Chinese culture likes to admit it or not, they very much so heavily, I don't, I cannot speak to Indian culture, but um, definitely more than American culture, they definitely favor their sons. And so it's, you know, even if I am closer to my mom's side, you know, I have to call my maternal grandparents, like, like outside grandparents, even though they're not like, I'm just as related to them as I am to my paternal ones, but there's that cultural difference right there. And I think um, just like, uh, in ancient Chinese culture, it was like, and I think in a lot of American cultures too, it was like, oh, like dowries, almost like giving your daughter away. And so that means these children, you know, even if they came from your daughter, they like weren't yours to keep. And so that's like a big discrepancy that I personally find really disturbing. And I wish that would change. But I mean, you know, culture takes generations upon generations to fix. I also think what um, Allison said about dowry is very interesting, because that is like, I think a lot of people view it as a cultural thing, but more, I feel it's more of like a misogynistic, more like misogyny driven thing where the bride's family will give the groom's family, um, you know, um, goods that are sourced in like land or money or more commonly in my family, it's like kitchen appliances or like furniture for their new house. And it's more of like a thing where, oh, like the, you basically buy the groom's affection instead of like it being like a consensual marriage in a, in a sense. And yeah, I think that's a great example of like the differences between like Asian and American culture. So on the whole topic of gender, as you guys said, it's there are 
I'd say, should I say we, we of the male gender <laughs> are, I do feel like we are favored a little bit. Yeah, I can see like, I'd say like even the little things like in my family, like whenever my grandparents see me or the great grandparents, I was always told that my great, great grandmother really loved me and like really thought I was like amazing probably and like no one else but like I didn't I was like a baby I didn't do anything <laughs> so I never got to talk to her but I just knew that I was favored and that was probably because I was a guy and then this this sounds really weird but my um my grandma that's like yeah my grandma always like called me that a handsome boy a handsome boy always and never complimented any of my other cousins who are mostly female like I can see that as well and also just like at home too my dad is I would say is a little bit gender bias because he's he's like the he he's like all about these mafia movies where like the strong father takes control of everything got protect the family and everything so he always pushes those ideals onto me and I feel like I if I weren't friends, this is not a flex. I'm just I'm just friends with a lot of girls. But if I weren't friends with a lot of girls, I wouldn't have as much of a sympathy for like I have an idea, but like a not a decent one of what females experience in society or in culture. But I I do feel bad. And I want to change that. Like, I want to treat all, like any girl with respect as an individual and everything. And like, listen to their problems and do all that. It just, I just feel bad. You, just have to, you guys have to put up with so much. It's, it's so sad. And I, I don't want to give pity. It's not pity, but it's just like, the, the fact is you have to deal with so much more than what guys have to deal with in every in lots of situations and this is an issue that we've also addressed in a lot of other episodes but i think it's especially important to bring it up in this one where we are talking about our own personal experiences it's mental health in the asian community um and more specifically i think in a lot of regards the lack of advocacy for it um, I know in my personal experience, it's always been mental illness has always been, you know, you're not doing enough work, you need to try harder, like, why are you sad, like, you need, like, you could be getting better grades, but instead, you're crying in your room, you know, and so it's that kind of mindset that I think really can lead to some people going down the wrong road, and, you know, it's always a wish of mine that we can learn to, you know, look past those things, and, um, recognize mental health, but, you know, in, in the community that I have been around, it's always been like, you don't talk about it. Like it's, everything's temporary. Everything's like a phase. Yeah. I think, um, I think you explained that really well. The way that Asian cultures kind of repress mental illness and kind of, they, they, I feel like they make it seem as something, oh, that can't happen to us. That only happens to like white people or like just people who are just weak in general but I feel like that really, that causes many kids to feel like, oh, they're not doing enough or that they're not achieving enough in their life when they're really just going through like a normal phase. I guess you could say, for example, like I probably struggle with a lot of mental illness, but I can't tell because 
I've always been told that, oh, it's just, you know, you're just being lazy or, oh, you can, if you just push a little harder, you can get it. And even to this day, like, I still can't tell if I'm just being lazy or if I actually have depression or if I'm like, if there's something wrong with me. So I think that definitely affects a lot of people in that same um, way. Yeah. And obviously, like, there's nothing wrong with you for wanting to seek help, um, which is, I think there's like a, as you guys said, there's a lack of acceptance, but I also don't think that it comes from any malintent. Um, some people just, there's just cultural barriers there. And as much as I hate to say that, it, it is true. Like, for example, my mom um, has talked about her mental health and mental well-being and like seeing therapists and all of this stuff um, with her with her mom, who's, you know, zero generation. And she obviously loves my mom. She's an only child. Like my grandma, like for my grandma, my mom is her everything. So she accepts it, but she doesn't really, I don't think she understands what it means. So she'll say stuff that's just completely insensitive to my mom's like journey with mental health and frankly with my, to mine as well. So there's, there's those barriers that I don't think people under sometimes um, in Asian culture, there's not really a understanding that things that people say can affect you in different ways. Um, And that's especially true with, I think, body image. That's what I've seen a lot with Indian culture. There's a lot of people in India and, you know, in America who are American Indians who struggle with body image, like everyone else in the country and in the world. But there's just some insensitivity that I see and I don't think it comes from again it doesn't come from like a malicious thought process or anything there's just a lot of things that I think need to be rewired in the Asian culture and we need to be more open and talk about our feelings about the whole body um, image thing I see it with my sister a lot that she my parents um, even if it's not not my parents but or yeah, my parents, but my, my whole family, like they give these little side comments. They're like, oh, you're growing fatter, like straight up. But like, it was like a kind of a jokish thing, but like you can tell that it actually it impacts my sister and that she brought it up once to my parents, like how like, can you like stop? Even though, like, it was like a little side comment. They're like, oh no, it's just like, you know, we're just saying it and stuff. But it's even those little side comments have impact and I, I like I get where your sister's coming from like those remarks are made in like an endearing way but then when I feel like we when we experience those same words in a different culture for like in like American culture um, if you would if you would go up to someone and say stuff like that you would definitely get slapped in the face because the tone of the word is like completely different compared to like other Asian cultures. And I definitely, that like clash also creates problems on top of the already existing problems there are. And I just want to clarify that we in no way are, you know, like hating on Asian or Asian American parents. They mean the best for their children and everyone that they encounter at all times. But, you know, as with any group with any society there's always ways to improve and I think we're just trying to advocate for the needs that we have as this generation and you know to finish this off I think we would like to end on a more you know fun topic and so we kind of wanted to talk about you know tv shows are small tidbits that we personally have experienced you know as Asian Americans growing up and 
um, just, you know, things that have made us who we are. I know for me as a child, every summer I would go back to um, China and we would spend a lot of time watching TV and I would memorize these commercials and I still have a couple of them memorized and they were super funny because some of them are like about medicine and others are about like, like egg roll, like, you know, treats. And so I think those really like taught me the language and the culture of China. Um, there's this fun show, I forgot what it's called, but it was literally about like a golden retriever dog with like a girl and they would just like run around and like travel. And I don't know. So I feel like that's like something fun that I personally experienced that impacted me. Sounds like Clifford the big red dog, but Chinese version. Um, I feel like every trip I would take to India, like the TV shows were always the more, the most thing I was like, I would always look forward to because you know, there's a lot of shows that you know, I grew up watching that I can't exactly watch here. Like Chota Beam, for example, was like an iconic TV show through all of India. And it's about this like super strong boy and his five friends, I think. And I don't know, it's just, I feel like it's a very big part of many um, Indian kids' childhoods, regardless of whether they live in India or not. Yeah, I grew up with Chota Beam too. Um, also like Temple Run. <laughs> I would play Temple Run when I was really jet lagged in India. Like they would try to keep me up to adjust to the sleep schedule. So I would just play Temple Run for like hours on end. Um, and also the, um, there's like these Indian, uh, Indian uh, culture has a lot of storytelling, which is um, something that I've really latched onto in the culture. Like that's uh, one of the things that my grandma has always told me, she's always told me all of the different stories in our culture. Um, and so the cartoons or the comic books, I guess, Amr um, those were like a really big part of um, like growing up, um, learning about my Indian culture. Yeah, I remember those books. I would like read them very religiously. I still have them, I think, in my brother's room. But yeah, I think mostly they were, I don't know for you, but mostly it was for me, it was TV shows, you know, like Chota Beam, um, Augie and the Cockroaches. And then, I don't know if you watched this, but Motu Patlu, that one was really good, so. And now on to the rice of the episode, <laughs> which <laughs> since they're running out of rice topics, I just brought up my favorite rice crackers. There's these I'm not even sure how they make them, to be honest. They're like air thin and they're just covered with this sweet powder, which sounds like a drug, but it's not. It's good. <laughs> but that was my entire childhood, like eating that in Chinese school every day or at school or at home or literally anywhere that I could eat it. That was always very exciting <laughs> for me as a kid. And I'd have to say for me as well, um, it's definitely like a treat that my family gets whenever we all go grocery shopping together. I'm like, let's get those. And they're like, okay, fine. Um, yeah, I definitely relate to that like language school, eat rice crackers and chill. So um, we want to thank you so much for listening and we can't wait for you guys to hear our next episode.